Nowadays, we take it for granted that doctors are well-informed on the inner workings of our bodies and what lies beneath our skin. But have you ever stopped and wondered who was the first guy to be like, hey, let's cut this beast open and see what's really going on in there. Hey y'all, I'm Christina and you're listening to History and Hearsay. To celebrate spooky season over the next month, I'll be releasing four episodes instead of my normal two. So make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss an episode and welcome to episode one for spooky season 2023. So when you think about it, it makes perfect sense that in order to learn about the human body, someone had to first open one up. But since these bodies at some point belong to live people, this of course created a unique dilemma in the history of medicine. In the next episode, we'll be discussing body snatchers who actually helped to acquire bodies for medical research. But in this episode, we're going to be focusing on how the medical community advanced to dissecting human bodies for research purposes. We have record of ancient healers cutting into live people as early as the Stone Age, but these procedures were more of an early primitive form of surgery that were done for healing purposes and not what we think of now as a dissection. The dissection we're discussing today is more about observation and learning. So we're talking about the postmortem opening and examination of a corpse with the purpose of studying its internal anatomy or dissection for an autopsy, which of course is something that's done to find the cause of death of a person. While ancient Egyptians did some of the earliest surgeries recorded and are famous for the way that they embalmed their dead, it's believed that they did not perform autopsies and they also didn't perform dissections for science either. Their process of embalming did involve removing the cadaver's internal organs to preserve them for as long as possible, but the records we have indicate that at most, Egyptians may have made small superficial incisions and they didn't glean any useful anatomical knowledge from it. When we look at the ancient Chinese, it's believed they would not have done any dissection of human bodies due to spiritual reasons. Confucius wrote, our bodies with skin and hair comes from our parents. We must not mutilate them. Man, Confucius, always so poetic. If you jump over to ancient India, we finally see some of the first human dissections. Sometime in the 6th century BC, someone wrote a book called the Suratsra Samhita. Suratsra himself was a physician surgeon who lived much earlier, possibly around 1000 BC, No one really knows for sure. Regardless, he documented a systematic method for preparation and dissection of a human cadaver. The way it was all laid out in his writings made it clear that he treated dissection as a science and not just as some sort of morbid curiosity. In his system, he described bones, muscles, ligaments, and joints. But he had a problem. There were laws in ancient India against cutting open corpses with knives. So what's it gonna do when that is the very thing he needs to do for his work. Well, you either break the law or you find a loophole. And that's exactly what he did. Loophole! Suzrata bypassed the laws by wrapping a corpse in long grass or hemp, soaking it in steam or water for about a week until the body started to petrify. Then he would use a special broom-like tool to peel away the skin and muscle and see the structures underneath. I guess it's good that someone was willing to do this stuff because if it was left up to me, you guys, 
I think we'd still be stuck in ancient times. I probably would have stopped at like realizing that washing your hands was a good idea or tasting mold to see if it stops an infection. And then I'd probably be like, I made my contribution to society. (laughs) But if I can quit talking about myself and how little I'm willing to do for the good of humanity, we can get back to Cisruda. None of the books we have on record from ancient India mention animals, and so it's believed that most of the anatomical knowledge did come from studying humans. So now if we take a look at the rest of Asia, Africa, and the American continents, their medical customs seem to be mostly centered around faith healing and medicinal plants. So it's not believed that any dissections were going on in this area during ancient times. Now if we take a look at the ancient Greeks, even though they weren't into human dissection either, they actually get a lot of credit for anatomy discoveries. And this is mainly due to the fact that they were really good at documenting and they also had a very organized, systematic approach to knowledge making. Starting around 500 BC, Alchemen of Cruton used animal dissection to see how sensory organs like the eyes, ears, and nose had channels leading back to the brain. He also noted that arteries were different than veins, though he never really defined how they were different. Now, if we fast forward a bit, we come to Hippocrates, who you may know is known as the father of medicine, even though he did not dissect any human corpses. Because he preferred looking at mainly animals, Hippocrates did get a lot of things wrong. Regardless, he and his students still made some pretty good anatomical observations from just looking at animals. Around 340 BC, we find Aristotle and his students dissecting hundreds of animals, but they also never dissected humans. Near the end of Aristotle's career, another scholar named Proxagoras hypothesized that veins carried blood and arteries transported air. He came up with this idea without having ever dissected a human body. Obviously, his initial ideas were incorrect, but he mentored a young boy named Herophilus who would go on to correct his teacher's errors and make an enormous impact on the advancement of medical research. The local leaders in Alexandria at this time really wanted the city to be known for science and literature. They already had the biggest library in the world at that time, and the medical school that Herophilus studied at actively encouraged experimentation, including human dissection. Herophilus and his younger contemporary, Aristratus, would get paid by royals to perform dissections. And so for the next 30 to 40 years, these two physicians dissected people in public for the advancement of science and for the reputation of Alexandria. Now, you may wonder, where were they getting all of these bodies? Well, it sounds like they were mostly criminals, which will come up again in more modern times, but more on that in the next episode. During this 30 to 40 year period, they discovered a lot about the cardiovascular system, including the fact that arteries were filled with blood, not air. They discovered that you could see the pulse in individual arteries along with the heartbeat. And they were also able to observe that nerves start from the brain and spinal cord, not from the heart. And the heart was also not involved in taking a breath. Aristratus came up with many more important discoveries on his own as well. And of course, there are a lot more things that they discovered that I'm not even getting into in today's video. Unfortunately for Herophilus and Aristratus, they were accused by their peers of vivisection, which was the dissection of human bodies while they were still alive. And I think they actually may have been doing that. So many believe this is why we hear a lot about Hippocrates and Galen, but not much about Herophilus. While dissection was legal in Alexandria, most of the academic world outside of the city did not support it. And during this time, there was also a growing movement of people called empiricists who believed that dissection did have any scientific value. They believed that dissection was totally 
totally unnecessary and that you could do medicine through more non-invasive observation and experience. Over time, the accusations of vivisection and the rise of empiricists put an end to the rules that allowed for the legal dissection of human corpses and human dissection came to an end for many years. Also during this time is when a physician by the name of Gladius Galen came into popularity. Galen was a physician who was a surgeon for gladiators and because of this he was in a very unique position. He had these gladiators coming in with extreme injuries and this really presented him with a lot of opportunities to get exposure to the human anatomy in a way that otherwise he would not have ever seen. And because of this extensive experience with these incredibly grotesque wounds, I'm sure their legs and stuff were like ripped open. I'm sure there was all kind of gruesome stuff, but this allowed Galen to begin really seeing a lot of things that he would never have seen. Because of this extensive experience, when Galen began documenting his work, it was quite extensive as well. And it's believed that the body of work he produced was somewhere between five and 10 million words with about 3 million of those works still remaining to this day. Now I know it's hard to imagine how like big that body of work is, but for reference, all seven of the Harry Potter books together only make up a little over 1 million words. So right around the time that Galen has just released this huge body of work, European countries outlaw dissection and it remains outlawed for almost 1500 years. So many believe this is why even though Galen got so much wrong in his work, it went on to be worshiped by medical scholars for the next millennia, kind of a right place, right time kind of deal. Because chances are if human dissection had continued during those 1500 years, medicine would have advanced past Galen's observations that were based only on animal dissection, but since no dissections were happening, it meant no opportunities for new discoveries and therefore no way to disprove or challenge Galen's theories. But what these scholars did have was all of Galen's writings, hence the hero worship. Fast forward to the Middle Ages, the Roman Empire falls, and the surviving scientific writings from the Western world are transferred to the Arab countries. The Arab countries during this time were really starting to flourish, and while there didn't seem to be much going on in the Christian part of Europe for around 1500 years, scientists in Arab Islamic countries were making many of their own discoveries. And as they questioned Galen's writings and theories, they began to make a lot of progress in this field. Because of some confusion over things that were lost in translation and all of the amazing discoveries that were being made, some people wonder if human dissection could possibly have been being done in the Islamic countries during this time. But it's widely believed that human dissection actually was illegal in Islamic countries as well. And there are many explanations for how these discoveries could have been made without human dissection. Like there was this one guy who discovered the fact that the human mandible, which is your lower jaw, is one part and not two like Galen had thought. And this scientist made this observation during a famine when there were a lot of dead bodies around. So he kind of was able to see bodies in various forms of decay and see how their jaws were. And he didn't have to cut anybody open in order to see that he kind of just waited and observed. Now if we go back to the Christian part of Europe and we look at the main reason why dissection had stopped for so long it was mainly because of the attitudes towards the sanctity of the human body but in the Middle Ages theologians started to distance the body on earth from the soul that would end up in heaven and anything related to the spirit started to be seen as noble while anything related to the body was seen as vile as the body is the thing that tempts us to sin here on earth. So once the church started to imagine the body as sinful, the spirit as a thing that really matters, they kind of started to loosen up and be like, uh, 
If that's the case, why does it matter if we cut up bodies here on Earth? And so dissection started to be more accepted. But even then, it was mainly reserved for the common folks or criminals. And so many people still saw dissection as a final humiliating punishment for criminals. And so with this added element of humiliation, dissections would sometimes be done in public for all to watch. As universities became more common, dissection for scientific reasons came back as well. The 18th and 19th centuries, which we commonly refer to as the Renaissance period, saw many advances in the medical field. One of the biggest medical discoveries to come out of this period was when William Harvey discovered that blood circulates through the body. The 19th century brought about the expansion of medical universities, which led to the dissection of human bodies being a common practice for teaching students and new medical discoveries. This is a time period when you hear a lot of chatter about body snatchers and the resurrectionists, which we're going to go into more in our next video. But the biggest discovery of that century is thought to be the cell theory in 1839. Now, if we move on to the 20th century, the many advances in the medical field saw the life expectancy for men go from 48 years old to 74 years old. And for women, the life expectancy went from 51 years old to 80 years old. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. In the next episode, we'll be diving deeper into body snatchers like I mentioned earlier. We're also gonna be talking about how they transported dead bodies from place to place in barrels and how that affected the stiff drinks that were sold to patrons. You aren't gonna wanna miss this one, so make sure you hit that subscribe button on your way out and I'll see you right here next week. Mm -hmm.